Variety called this movie a cross between a sci-fi opus, a thriller, a suspense pick, and a parable on certain aspects of American middle-class life. Amazon user D notes, There's very little dialogue. The plot isn't particularly complicated. The orgy scene was boring. How do you film a boring orgy? And Trevor Johnson of Time Out said, Little wonder it flopped at the time only to be cherished by a later generation. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we discuss the legacy of Seconds. Which one will it be? Greetings, Starfighters. Greetings to you all in your socially distant listening locations right now. Hopefully, if you are out of the house, you are listening to this uh, taking a walk during which you are remaining at least six feet away from everybody else. If you are in your car, I hope that you that it is a necessity. And most of all, I hope that you are all well. I concur. I uh, thank you all for bearing with us as we had to take a uh, a week off. And the reason is because I've got pneumonia. That's right. Not coronavirus. Not, to the best of the doctor's knowledge, not coronavirus. It is damn near impossible to get a test unless you are exhibiting a lot of the big symptoms of which I am. Like fame? Not, <laughs> like fame. Like fame and wealth. Yeah. So, um,. As far as we can tell, good to go, but I'm doing a lot better today, and that is why we are recording. It's good to have you back, John. It's good to be back, Dan. Yeah, I have been- You say that like you were just here the whole time. Yeah, I have been sitting at this desk waiting to record this podcast, notes in hand. I've had nothing else to do. So, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. I have I have been excited to talk about our movie today, Seconds, directed by John Frankenheimer, not John Schlesinger, which is the director I said. Oh, did you? On the Monster Squad episode. Oh, I, am I didn't even fairly catch certain that. I did. Yes. No, John Frankenheimer of Seven Days in May and The Manchurian Candidate. So, yeah. Anyway... Yes, we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. So we actually got an email from our buddy French Fry Phil. Hey, Phil. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and read that. Uh, Phil says, hope all is well with the two of you during this crazy time. Side note, it hasn't been, but we're getting better. Uh, I'm not sure if there is a statute of limitations for comments on old episodes, but I wanted to recommend the audiobook. As You Wish by Carrie Always. His autobiography is his time spent making The Princess Bride. I just finished it and it was very entertaining. Mr. Elways is the narrator and the majority of the cast slash crew read their contributions to this documentation. Oh, that's cool. Keep up the good work. Yeah. Sleep well. I'll most likely kill you in the morning, Phil. <laughs> you know, John, when I first read that email, 
it took me a moment to remember that that was a reference to the Princess Bride. And <laughs> I I did like, what? And then it was, oh, right. Yes, he says that. Right. Yeah. In the movie. No, reading yes. it just now, I did not find any cause for alarm. No, no. <laughs> it was it was it was momentary. Yeah, Phil, thank you for writing. Uh, great recommendation. If anybody else wants to write in, ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And uh, we also any other audiobooks or or non audiobooks about making making of movies and behind the scenes by people who were involved. Please, you know, send them send them our way. Yep. So, Dan, I, I know that during this time you are also acting as kindergarten teacher for your daughter. But uh, how else have you been spending your time? Have you been listening to any more podcasts or? Well, I've been spending. So my my job when I am not quarantined is as a high school teacher. So we've been, uh, my time not spent teaching kindergarten in the, which my kindergarten is mornings, mornings only, it's AM kindergarten. And then in the afternoons, I'm kind of more focused on what we're supposed to be doing with our students with at high school, in the high school. And I'm lucky in that I have been using a lot of online tools and like online discussion boards, things like that long before we closed long before they closed the schools. In fact, I had kids moving uh I I had had kids keeping reading journals like in composition books and at the beginning of the semester I recommended that they start using blogs. Oh, okay. And set up book blogs and, you know, use that to as to journal about their reading. And I'm so glad I did that because then when when things closed and, you know, it takes a while, districts have to take a lot of things into account when they make decisions. And in Seattle, there are very loud voices voicing many dissenting opinions. It's kind of the vibe of its vibe of the city. It's like an activist city. And as John, you live in Portland. I don't need to tell you what that's like. So it's been answers have been slow coming, but we've been getting direction. And fortunately I feel like my students have been taken care of. They've had, things to keep them busy and whenever I got a message from one of them saying yeah what should I be doing well remember this that and the other thing that that you were doing anyway yeah keep doing that just like keep now you have more time to do that yeah so read and write about it do yeah basically that's it and that was I sent an email out to families and just said you know the the goal of the year you know, overall is to make the students to help them be stronger readers and writers and also more confident readers and writers. And the best way to do that is to read and to read a variety of materials. So, so, so Dan, yeah, you have a question. Well, yes. yes. Many years ago, I was a 
a host of a podcast called Hey Teens that I did with oh, my yes, friend I re- Eric I Goslin. I believe you can still find it on some podcast apps like Stitcher. So I have a history in asking about teenage life. So what I want to know, what are the teens reading these days? <laughs> Seriously. What are the teens reading these days? Yeah. Uh, a variety. So, so the things that are, are, I guess, like the reliable, the backbones of, I would say, n- ninth grade literature, the ones that you can usually get kids into, uh, The Hate You Give has been huge for a few years. Okay. Uh, 13 Reasons Why uh, I Haven't Been Seeing That as much, but that was a big one. Um, I can usually get kids into Perks of Being a Wallflower if they haven't already read it, and it's a great movie adaptation of that as well. But excellent book, excellent movie. Let's see, what else are they reading? It, it kind of depends on what they're into. Like, I, I had a girl in one class who read Ozzy Osbourne's, bi- or no, I think she read Sharon Osbourne's <laughs> memoir. I'm trying, or no, she read Ozzy's. She read Ozzy's memoir. And is it really, this, this kid is funny. This, uh, I, I had sent a survey around to my kids just kind of to get some information about what they're, what they're doing and also what they, what they've been able to do, but also just to see how they're doing. And I asked them, I was like, oh, what's something that you could do during this time that you would never be able to do otherwise? And, this kid, the one who read Ozzy Osbourne's autobiography, wrote this whole thing about how she and two other kids... So they closed the West Seattle Bridge. Did they? I live... Yes, they closed the West Seattle Bridge because of... Not because of coronavirus. Not because... Which is what I thought it was because the governor of Washington State specifically mentioned Alki Beach, which is in West Seattle, as being like, stop going there. Uh-huh. <laughs> stop going to Alki, um, which people were definitely doing when they shouldn't have been. But it turns out that there were all these cracks in the bridge. And so they were like, okay, let's close the bridge. So th- this kid tells me that she and two other kids decided they were going to skateboard down the West Seattle Bridge because it was closed. And as they were on the bridge, they heard police sirens and, like, tried to run, and they almost got away, but one of them dropped their phone. And then there was some other random skateboarder also on the bridge who, like, hopped over hopped over the like something and like hopped over the side and they didn't see him again. And then, and the story ends. She's like, the next morning I woke up to my mother's hysterical laughter. I came downstairs and there's pictures of the three of us on like Facebook and, and online of us being questioned by the police from traffic cams. So, Whoa. <laughs> but it like you, you, it just it goes to show you can't you really never know because this is not a kid who you would see and think, oh, of course that kid's gonna be like really into Ozzy and is gonna try to skateboard down the closed bridge. Well, you really never but know, and that brings total and that brings us to our film seconds. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> Dan. So I 
I was asking was you great. questions, trying to see if you could say anything that would give me a segue into seconds. I wish I had known. <laughs> Always assume that I'm trying to find a segue. <laughs> so that changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know what? It 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 does segue into into seconds into that idea. That it, you really that never it know approaches. Yeah. So well, yeah. If if I may, Dan, is it is it synopsis time? So first of all, we're talking it's about synopsis. seconds uh, from 1966, as Dan said earlier, directed by uh, John Frankenheimer, who directed Manchurian Candidate, Island of Doctor Moreau, Ronin, Reindeer Games, and a uh, a film for Canon Films with Roy Scheider called Fifty Two Pickup. And I only mention that because Canon Films. Always worth mentioning whenever possible. So, successful New York banker Arthur Hamilton begins receiving calls from his good friend Charlie. The problem? Charlie's dead, or so Arthur thought. Charlie reveals that he had hired a mysterious company to give him a new life, attempting to entice Arthur to do the same. After following the trail that Charlie leaves for him, Arthur finds himself in an inescapable building where he's been given two options, fake his death get reconstructive surgery and live a new life, or a video will surface of him accosting a woman in bed, a video that was filmed after they had drugged Arthur, forcing him into the situation. Arthur then leaves his life behind, his promising career, empty marriage, and the adult daughter that he rarely sees. Arthur Hamilton is transformed into Tony Wilson, who is not only given a new face, but a new identity. Now, he's a Malibu artist, and he has to hone his skills so he can pick up where his existing body of work had been left off. After meeting Nora while on a beach walk, he embraces his new life with her by his side. Shortly after, Tony hosts a party at his home for his new neighbors, and after a few too many drinks, Tony loses track of who he is and how he is supposed to present himself. This is how Tony begins to discover the truth about himself, Charlie, and the mysterious company that brought them back together. What? Are you waiting for me to segue? It sounded like you were going to say something. So, Rocco. No, just I was just thinking about what a batshit crazy movie this is. But yeah, bananas. go right ahead. So, John Randolph plays Arthur, who then becomes Tony, played by Rock Hudson, in a role very different from any that he had played before. Uh, we have uh, Murray Hamilton as Charlie, who we might remember from The Graduate. Yeah, or also the mayor in Jaws. The mayor in Jaws, speaking of Roy Scheider. And Jaws 2. And Jaws 2, yes. That's been coming up a lot lately. Uh, well, yeah. Wesley Addy plays John, his butler in Malibu. Uh, butler in quotes. I mean, the the guy who's hired to... Handler. Yeah, handle him. Um this is handler. <laughs> Jeff Corey plays Mr. Ruby, who is the person who runs the this company... Is he the is he the the older guy? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this yeah this movie is completely bananas. It's really cool to me that Rock Hudson did this movie. It's very uh, Twilight Zone. It's truly bananas. It really makes. I I mean it's kind of funny because it's like I'm I was trying to decide if I wanted to give away the ending because. 
it was made in 1966. There's been plenty of time, but also this isn't one that a lot of people have seen. So I hadn't heard of it until right. you told me about it's, it like a year ago. It's part of the Criterion Collection. It's pretty well known in like the film world. Yeah. So uh, this is from the IMDb trivia. Uh, Seconds has gained a cult status in later years and is frequently revived. Uh, according to director John Frankenheimer, it's, quote, the only movie really that's ever gone from failure to classic without ever having been a success, which I thought was a really interesting one. And when they say mm. frequently revived, it's interesting because there hasn't been an actually made, like, real remake of it or anything. It's... There's been a lot of there's been like th- midnight showings maybe maybe something like that there was so did you see the Netflix series that came out um this past year called Living with Yourself with Paul Rudd I no I did not I've not seen that yet It's really fantastic it's it's a real trip mm-hmm. it's not the same yeah. as Seconds but it has very similar themes where uh-huh. you go to a spa and when you wake up, you feel revived and you're, you have this new joie de vivre and you are just like this holy person. And then it turns out that they clone you, dump your body in a shallow grave, and then you are this new version of yourself. So in that show, the body that was buried wasn't actually dead. So... The two of them. Yeah. It's really fascinating. And it reminded me a lot of Seconds. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. in... There are some similarities, but it's definitely not the same. Well, Seconds... I I guess to jump to the themes, and when you really start to think about the context of the film, it's being made in the mid-1960s, and you think about the star of the film, who... Closeted homosexual. Identity crisis. Identity. Well, not just identity crisis, but paranoia. Who knows who I really am? What's going to happen to me? Which And and Frankenheimer cast three blacklisted actors. That's right. Including John Randolph, who, uh, for those of you who who don't know who John Randolph was, you would most likely know him from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, in which he played was it Clark's father, Clark Griswold's father. Yes, right? or was he? Uh... I believe so. Yes, yeah, he played Clark's uh, Chevy Chase's father in in that. So that's uh, that's John Randolph, who was blacklisted by uh, who was blacklisted for did he didn't for not not talking to the. I don't know the full story, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, I know he was blacklisted. Um, so you've got that. You've got that sense of paranoia. You've got the. You've also got, and I, to focus in on on some of the scenes. Well, before you move on from paranoia, I just want to focus yes. on one other bit of trivia that was in IMDb. Um, oh, go forth. Beach Boys composer Brian Wilson saw the movie in a theater during its first run. Overworked and showing signs of a breakdown, Wilson both liked the theme of the movie, changing identities and starting over, and found its downside disturbing. He wondered later if musical rival Phil Spector had somehow convinced Columbia Pictures to produce the film just to mess with his mind. I saw that and I was like, who the hell let Brian Wilson go see this movie at that Not Eugene Landy. 
<laughs> no, I can just I could just imagine, and also I mean, this is also just knowing, you know, as you do, knowing a lot about Brian Wilson's past, right? And I just rewatched Love and Mercy recently. Oh, which it's is so how I'm able good. to pull the name Eugene Landy so quickly. Oh, okay, right, yeah, Paul Giamatti in the year that Paul Giamatti ruined music, yes, where he scamped, <laughs> where he screwed over Brian Wilson and NWA. 2015, the year Paul Giamatti ruined music. This is so true. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I love Paul Giamatti, but man, holy shit. Love and Mercy is such a good movie. If you haven't seen it. It's wild. I, I mean, damn. I mean, I can't remember John Cusack doing anything that good in a long time. It's tremendous. And Paul Dano is also amazing. Oh, Both yeah. As Brian Wilson. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. okay, you were you were gonna move on from paranoia to some of the other themes. Well, and uh, the kind of the identity crisis, but not just the individual identity crisis, but kind of this identity crisis of the the United States, the world. It's the mid '60s. You've got the conservative values. You've got the um, the Arthur Arthur Hamiltons. The conservatives, the bankers, the, well, the the man in the, the it was the man in the gray flannel suit who, you know, in the 1950s that was the standard, and you did. He, they even have him working like or living in, was it like Rochester or somewhere, something like that, up upstate New York, and taking the train into the city, and like following that, just doing that same routine, and also just wanting and and thinking like this is what this is what I should want and being told this is what you should want and then pursuing it and so many people were miserable in those lives because it, it didn't they didn't suit who they were who they really were and they just thought like well this is what I have to do mm-hmm. and you really and then you really see that when he becomes Tony Wilson who lives in Southern California and he's this artist. Right. And it's a totally separate lifestyle. But the scene that really drives the point home is the Bacchanal, the big, was it not really, not an orgy? Well, allegedly (laughs) it was, but that part got cut out. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, John, you haven't heard the. I don't. I don't think you've heard the intro yet. Oh but, no. Uh, one of one of the quotes for this week uh, is a bit critical of the orgy scene. Gotcha. So yeah. It, yes. This <laughs> this scene it comes close to showing nudity, but doesn't actually. It's a lot of implied. I mean. Yeah, but it's uh, it's crazy. It's this festival where people are, you know, making wine and it's a festival of Dionysus. Yes, it's yes, it's yeah. And uh, he is very resistant to it until until he is literally pulled into it, and they strip him down yeah. and throw him into it. Yeah. yeah, and I felt like it was kind of how a I I was like, does this is this supposed to be representing how a lot of you know, older Americans and more conservative Americans felt, or maybe like those more conservative Americans who really like, who saw the, you know, the, the, the peace and love movement, the hippies 
and and we're kind of like, oh, that, that kind of looks like fun, right? And and we're kind of like, I can't. Wow, and LSD and all that, but could I? Yeah. I, well, this is somebody like who this... you know. Last we saw him, he was sleeping in separate twin beds from his wife. They barely communicate with each other to where he's yeah. like skin to skin with like seven other people at the same time. It's yeah, just a complete escape into another life. And it's really abrupt. It's really a it, like it's a he meets this woman and of course as one might suspect she is not what she at first seems to be. Right. And like he meets her and he and he falls for her and they go to this they go to this thing and it's just this kind of this dark turn and and the, the party is after that am, am I yes am I correct it's it's been a few I, I, interestingly this was the second time because I watched the movie when you first recommended mm-hmm. it to me last year and I and my experience watching it was very much uh, that after I finished watching it, I I really wasn't sure what I had just seen, but I felt that that was because I didn't get something, and mm. I was like, "There's something I missed." There's and watching it a second time, I I really caught so much more. Yeah, and just kind of seeing this. I mean, and it's just, it all connects so much between the straight-laced and the the free, the conservative, the, the you know, straight and versus the, the gay and, you know, Rock Hudson just kind of really wanting to, like, it, it's so crazy because it's not like this was written for him. No. He had nothing to do. It was based on a novel. It's so spot on. Right. Well, it's for, it's clear that he felt a connection with it. And I don't know. I, I mean, lent a lot to it. I mean, I believe he actually was the one who suggested that the uh, Arthur character is played by somebody completely different, um, really even further differentiating Tony from Arthur. Um, I, I, I don't know. It seems like he really lent a lot to it. And... Uh, I know that also having him in it was a bit of a hindrance for the success of the movie. At least that's what the belief was, is that yeah. people who were into serious filmmaking were just thinking, oh, a Rock Hudson movie? No, thank you. And Right. Yeah. Mr. Pillow Talk, where's Doris exactly, Day? Exactly, yeah. So it's it's really fascinating to watch it you know, years and years later without having any stigma of who this person was, because of course now we know who he was. That was the first I ever heard of, of I mean, the first I ever really heard of Rock Hudson because he died in 1985. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was how, and I was like, his name was Rock Hudson. I'm like, for real? <laughs> and I was thinking about this the other day. It set me off on a whole train of thought about how, I, I feel like we a lot of times we make fun of like professional wrestlers' names, and then I think about a lot of Hollywood names, and I'm like, there's really there's there's no difference really. Like I I'm trying to remember whose name popped in my head, but I was like, that's that person, that's like such a wrestler name right there. I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't tell you who it was right now. <laughs> but well, you I, have uh, Robert the Snake know. De Niro. It was. <laughs> 
Um, no, I, I mean, it was Rock Hudson definitely got me, uh, got me thinking about that, but I was like, uh, you know what? Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, come on. Yeah. So, uh, also a couple other points that I, I saw in the IMDb trivia relating to what we talked about on this podcast. I allegedly, while choosing films in, uh, for Criterion, Filmmaker Gaspar Noe's first pick was this movie, even stating that he would remake it someday. I don't know. I wasn't familiar with his work, but it seems like a lot of very experimental. I'm pretty sure I've seen. I think I saw. Let me just make sure. Yes, I have seen Irreversible. Okay. And very. It was good. Just a lot of like shock value. Yeah. Okay. Like gra- a gra- like a graphic. I remember a graphic rape scene. Oh boy. So uh, one other yeah. bit of <laughs> trivia uh, on assignment. Professed Frankenheimer admirer Roger Avery wrote a remake titled Second, spelled two N D S, for director Jonathan Mostow. It was eventually canceled. Whatever happened to Jonathan? I think he's been doing TV. Jonathan. I think Mostow. so too. And Roger Avery was. Uh, Involved in a lot of the earlier Quentin Tarantino movies. Uh, credited as a co-writer on Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, I believe. Did, a little bit. He did Killing Zoe. Was uh, He wrote and directed Killing Zoe mm. with Eric Stoltz. Right. So, uh, yeah, just interesting that, you know, this totally seems like something that would come up again. And I'm sure that at some point it will. I mean, what do you think, John? Like, what, what, do you, what would you do with it? You're given, you're given this. Well, you're given this assignment. Honestly, the movie as it was works, kind of in any era. You can just it's it's all about generational differences and identity, and those are issues that are always going to be a thing. And I think that a straight remake could totally work. It's the, the ending is so fun and twisted and it just makes you think like, what is actually happened? Like it doesn't give you all the answers, which is a lot of fun. So yeah. Yeah. So it really gives you a lot to think about. What's up? I, one, one thing I would appreciate it in, in a remake would be, and then, sorry, I want, um, I was going to, ask you to go on to your casting ideas. But I would say one thing that I think is missing from the movie that does kind of hurt it a little bit is the abrupt transition from Tony loving life as Tony to all of a sudden wanting to go back and... Right. I mean, there's definitely room for a little bit more breath and that's where I, I think i feel like that's kind of the because I, because you're right the there's a vagueness that leaves you that leads you to speculation and that part of it i think is part of the fun of the movie and which actually has a lot to do with my some of my filmmaker choices okay uh for a remake but i i do think i would i would that's where i would i would throw in maybe an extra scene or two sure is is just feed a little bit more into that transition where, you know, when he goes back to New York and right. And all that. There's a scene where he goes back and he visits his wife 
as somebody who has had encounters with Arthur. I can't remember exactly how he framed it. Like he met him at a conference. Yeah, something like that. And yeah, like in the last year. Right. And brought back this like tennis trophy. And I don't know, it was just kind of... It was it was a really actually fascinating scene. I I really appreciated it. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I thought it was I thought it was great, and and it's why I just would would just like that, just a bit, just a smidge more right. transition. Yeah, there. yeah. Well, I know that there was a scene that was deleted that where he visits his daughter and her husband who was played by Leonard Nimoy, uh, the husband, not the daughter. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think that that would have been a really interesting thing to see, too, because I think that that's what would probably give you a little bit more of the reason why he'd want to go back. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would just, I would I would definitely need to see, like, a, a little more of that connection rather than him just kind of getting drunk at a party and being obnoxious because he, he can't talk about Harvard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great. Oh man, it, it's a great scene. That, and Rock Hudson, real. I heard Rock Hudson really got yeah, drunk. That company should probably screen everybody and be like, "Uh oh, did they go to Harvard? Nope, cancel <laughs> oh, it. Yeah, they won't be able to nope. help themselves." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so any any casting ideas? Well, I, I wanted to start with director. Oh, director. Yeah, yeah. This is such a, I, I don't know, a filmmaker's movie. I will. De- I, if we have anyone in common, as you're going through your names, it, well, my first is David Fincher. He's my he's, second. He's my done, second would yeah. be Denis Villeneuve, and my third and final would be Suzanne Beer, who did Bird Box. Oh wow! Okay, I don't have any of those people oh, who do you on have? my list. So, um, yeah. So, da- I mean, David Fincher, I guess, uh, revisiting Fight Club. Fight Club territory, yeah, which yeah. I I love. I'm a big David Fincher fan. So, uh, but my so my list is 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 a little different. I've I've got a long list here, and it starts with Charlie Brooker, who is the creator of Black Mirror. Oh, okay, kind of a modern day Twilight Zone, and right. I think he's really got. This is like the tone that he has a sense for. And then as we were discussing. As we were discussing it, I thought of another filmmaker, and because I remembered the movie The Box, okay, and I remembered Richard Kelly, who is that? That is his name. Yes, Donnie Darko, Donnie Darko, and yeah. Southland Tales. Yeah, and Southland I thought, Tales, yeah. I thought, well, this would be an interesting project for him to tackle. Other mm-hmm. names I had: Darren Aronofsky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who deals with identity a lot? I mean, yes, Black Swan. Uh, the the wrestler. I mean, the Spike. Wrestler. So I had Spike Jones on my list, but hmm. I I think more interesting than Spike Jones was the name that I I got jumped to from him was Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman, yeah. A Charlie I, Kaufman version of Seconds would be so good. It would be right. Well, I mean, adaptation. Thinking about Charlie Kaufman. Well, I'm I mean, thinking about Synecdoche, New York. Synecdoche, New York. mm Hmm. And just got, like that slow burn that that he does really well, right. uh, and then another. I, I have three more names on my list, and they're a little um, further back. Well, Paul Thomas Anderson. Just mm. I thought I would be interested to see because I'm think I think about Punch Drunk Love. 
I think about right. Punch Drunk Love, and I'm like, PTA can do something. I mean, even look at um, uh, Phantom Thread is not this big sprawling ensemble film. Yeah, it's a it's a very intimate movie and very funny. Um, so I, I thought I was like, oh, Paul Thomas Thomas Anderson now. There's two other directors that I thought of, and one of them I would love to see do it, and the other one I mm-hmm. kind of cringe at it, but yet it would be awesome. And I would, I'd be really interested to see what David Lynch would do <laughs> with seconds. I don't know if anybody could handle that. <laughs> yes, I could. I could totally handle it. Uh, that, and I was like, man, what if you did Brian have Brian De Palma? What if Brian De Palma hmm. came back and and w- with John Lithgow as Arthur <laughs> Hamilton? I I do like the idea of John Lithgow as an Arthur Hamilton. I I've never been a big De Palma fan. Me, I I very hit or miss for me De Palma. I. Love, have you seen the documentary about De Palma? No, I haven't. Oh, it's probably like you probably enjoy it more than you enjoy his movies. Oh, maybe. But I really enjoy Carlito's Way. Okay. Really like Carlito's Way. Not a big Scarface fan. Um, Not a Scarface fan either. Really like Carrie. Carrie's okay. great. Loved Raising Kane. I haven't seen it in a long time. Raising Kane. Speaking of Lithgow. Well, yeah, that's what I yeah. that's what I was thinking of. I was like, oh man, Lithgow um doing if if you kind of fleshed out the Arthur role a little bit more, man, Lithgow would be so good. Yeah. So do, do you have any more directors in mind? No, that's my okay. that's so my list. When it came to our Tony, I mean we mentioned him before, but I just jumped to Tom Cruise. Because I I really like the idea. First of all, dude's 60. <laughs> you know, he would be age appropriate for somebody who has lived a life mm-hmm. and, you know, is is having their second chance. And thinking about movies like Edge of Tomorrow, um, even Vanilla Sky, you know. yeah. Uh, you know, the way that he does the the person who's kind of scrambling, I like I th- that a lot. I thought of Tom Cruise as now this now are are you thinking Tom Cruise would play like using whatever digital effects that he would be both Arthur and because I guess I've been thinking of it with casting two different actors. I, I, I did just, too, but for me, it, the Arthur character, the actor, I mean... I, I'll i just start this off by saying that John Randolph is amazing. And, you know, Rock Hudson is the name of this movie, is the name for this movie. But John Randolph, like, kicks it off in such a perfect way. And well, for he, the first, like, 40 minutes of the movie, yeah, he's he the He carries the first 40 minutes, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I don't want to underplay that, but the... I wanted to focus more, I, you know, because you can name... So, so many but, actors that would be an amazing Arthur. I guess. Are you thinking Tom Cruise as Tony? As Tony. Yeah. Okay. Not as Arthur. Yeah. I feel like Tom Cruise. I feel like Tom Cruise is a little old for Tony right now. I'm seeing a. I'm seeing kind of like a d- good like fifteen to twenty year age gap between Arthur and and Tony, which is I think the age gap between John Randolph and ten years. 
10, 10 years, 10 years. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I guess with Tom Cruise, I just, I think about the Tony, I think about Tony and yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess it could, that could work with, with Tom. Who would you cast then as, as Arthur? I don't know. I mean, John, John Malkovich is an interesting one. John Lithgow. John Malkovich is is also good. Um, I have John. I have John Malkovich and Miles Teller on my list as a Miles Teller. I don't know. I was just thinking about. It. I was like, ah, Miles Teller. That's be good. I think a little too young. Be good tone. Too young. Too young. Yeah. Felt like a Damian Lewis is Tony. I don't know. See, I I kind of feel like it because Rock Hudson. It's not like he was, you know, thirty. He was no, still I like, guess, you know, 45, probably. I, I don't know exactly how old he was when this came out. Wait, he yeah. he was 40, I think, because... I think he was 40. He yeah. was born in 25, and this came out in 66. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure he was 40. Yeah. So he's around yeah. 40. Yeah. So anyway, we're he doesn't necessarily present as 40, it's uh, you know forty in nineteen sixty six is different than forty now. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, this is forty now. Yeah, you're exactly. looking at it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I I don't know. Uh, it's tricky for me to think of the the Arthur the Arthur character. The other well, um. It also the, the other person uh, I was thinking of for the Tony character would be Kate Blanchett. I was just about to say. I feel like the other great thing about remaking this is you are really you are not bound by yeah. any restrictions in terms of gender, uh, gender, ethnicity, race, what have right. you. Yeah. It's all wide open. Yeah. So um, there's a lot. Of, so there's a lot of different different ways you could go with this yeah i was thinking i was like susan sarandon as as in the <laughs> arthur a little bit too old julianne moore sally, sally field <laughs> um <laughs> julianne moore yeah she'd be really good too you're you have, gonna change you my really face s- you're going to change my <laughs> face <laughs> you're gonna change my face um no those are really interesting so the other thought that i had is yeah. if this could be adapted to a television series Perhaps, what? God damn it! I thought you were gonna say musical, and I was nope, so nope, on board nope, with that. Nope, oh, man. nope. Uh, a TV series, and one name came to mind, and I feel like this person, with two shows that I can think of, has really made a huge mark and shown who they are as a creator. And this is not to say that this person created these shows but was heavily involved with the directing and acting in the at least in one of the earlier ones i'm talking about jason bateman who is very heavily involved with ozark has directed a lot of the episodes one of the lead roles also the uh, hbo show the outsider which was the stephen king adaptation and he directed i think the first few episodes and was in the first few episodes and he does like dark and weird. And uh, I don't know, like he really has changed the way that people perceive him. He is going no longer teen wolf to no, not at all. He's not David Hogan 
or whatever. What was that? His, right. Who is he on the Hogan family? One of the Hogans. I don't know. I don't think he was David. Maybe he was David. I don't. David know. sounds about right. But also, David. It's like far, far from Michael Bluth too. Like, oh yeah, he's able to do dark really well. Yeah, you know, I, I, and I could see him I as a really that. good. I could see him as a really good Tony. Well, but oh, I don't know so if him, I would see him as a Tony in film. Now, John, if you're going to have Tom Cruise as mm. your Tony, would you ever consider, because remember also like certain things like height are an issue, which might rule out someone like Malkovich. I don't know about Lithgow, but man, would Dustin Hoffman be too old to be Arthur? <laughs> <laughs> Can we bring the oh, Babbitt man. boys back together? <laughs> the Babbitt brothers. <laughs> uh I mean, you know, with what they can do with makeup and digital effects, I don't know. I mean, I I, 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 I was a little uh, unimpressed with the de aging in the Irishman, so yeah, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. I'm I'm reluctant to to go in that it's, direction. It, it's good for like a flashback. It's good for like a short scene. Yeah, but yeah, for when it goes on for a while, it's. I, oh man, it just takes me out of it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I know. I just I thought about that. And I was like, oh man, that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who Danny DeVito? <laughs> that now you're going a little too short. I don't. know. Why not? Everybody uh, loves Danny DeVito. This is true. This is definitely true. Yeah. So that's where I am with everything. I, oh, by I the highly way, if, encourage. What's up? Oh, of course. And if David Lynch were to direct it, uh, I I think it Kyle would only McLaughlin. be appropriate. Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, yeah, of course. Although it's interesting, they kind of did that with the third season of Twin Peaks, The Return. Yeah, yeah, so, it's really good. Uh, I I really just want to encourage everybody who I believe it is it on Amazon Prime Video. Or was it Hulu? I, I I believe it is. So it might not, it might be off prime. I think it is off prime as of like April 1st. Oh, really? Yeah. That's really sad. It might be. I would check. um, No, it's still on. It's still on prime video. It is. Okay. I'm looking it up right now. Let's see. Is it? Um, But check out seconds. It is. Yeah, check it out. Wild. I mean, even if you have to pay to rent it. Totally it's worth, worth it. The, whatever, two ninety nine. Pick up the the Criterion collection copy of it. Yeah, or I don't know. Subscribe to the Criterion channel. If you get the Criterion channel, maybe uh, it's on there. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Um, yeah, I, it's out there though. That's one of the um, Criterion uh, app or service streaming service is one that I've been thinking about, but it's like I just don't have enough time. Yeah. If yeah. that exists in 10 years, <laughs> I will get, I will be on that for sure. I am thinking of so many things that if they existed like 15 years ago, yeah. I it it's probably a good thing they didn't. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, um yeah, yeah, check out seconds however you can. It's wild. And if you want to get into the filmography of John Frankenheimer, um, the Manchurian Candidate, of course, is comes highly recommended. And from later in his career, man, Ronin 
is just Conan. a bang up movie. I have yes? one more suggestion. Oh, what? Yes? Of an Arthur and Tony. And here's oh. the thing. And here's the thing. You make the movie twice and then flip the roles. Nicolas Cage, John Travolta. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Release that the movie me. twice and switch them. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of in like a making crazy movie competition now. There's this Nicolas What's Cage Travolta movie. What's Travolta been doing? I don't I I don't know. He pops up in these like, you know, um whatever like straight to streaming movies yeah. where he's like on the poster and he like, you know, looks desperate and he's like clutching a gun or something. Yeah. But Nicolas Cage has been doing these and uh, these crazy science fiction movies and there's one that I believe from the same uh person who made Mandy mm-hmm. that that just uh started streaming and I've been so interested to watch it. I I don't I can't do the like the I can't do the the present day John Travolta movies, but I'm like into these crazy some of these crazy Nicolas Cage movies, uh-huh. especially whatever this this new. Uh, let me get the the name of it because I know I'm going to get it wrong if I. Well, if I while try. you're looking that up, I want to let everyone know what we're going to be talking about on our next episode, which hopefully yeah. will just be in a week's time because this pneumonia is. Getting out of here, that's for sure. So we chose this next film because A, it is a lot of fun, and B, because we just recently went past what would have been opening day of the baseball season. Nobody is being taken out to the ball game. Yeah, but that's why we're going to watch Major League and discuss its fate on the next episode. Color Out of Space is the Nicolas Cage movie that... Sounds about right. I am... The poster and the description is, a secluded farm is struck by a strange meteorite which has apocalyptic consequences for the family living there and possibly the world. And it's based on an H.P. Lovecraft story. Yeah, that, that tracks. (laughs) <laughs> on brand on yeah. brand oh boy very cage well, yeah uh so dan we're gonna do major league on the next episode batter up baby yeah uh anything Wild else to add thing. no i'm just excited to watch major league man uh what do i have to add stay everybody stay stay well stay safe yes. and as we talked about in the last episode whatever you can do to support your local movie theater if yes. they're taking donations, if you can buy gift certificates, whatever you can do, the world of movies is going to look very different after this all passes. I'm very curious to see what the Oscars next year are going to be like, if it's all going to be streaming movies. Oh, but you know, John, I was thinking about that because I was like, man, I wonder if... Prey. But I wonder if the Oscars next year will be... I don't know. I just I wonder if there's if there's going to be like a better vibe around the Oscars next year because maybe more, people will have more of an opportunity to see the films and might be more you know well informed and I don't know. You might Tell have you a what, lot though, of. It's going to be yeah. weird. It's I know, be man. Weird. Crazy times we are living in. Yeah, crazy All times right, indeed. All Until right. Until next time, good journey. Good journey. Oh.
some it's coke. For some it's powder. For some it's smoke. Everybody today is turning on. For some it's dust. For some it's weed. For some it's acid. For some it's weed. Everybody today is turning on. Time was when if a fellow felt depressed, he simply got it off his chest. By calling on a preacher, talking to his teacher, coughing up, up a half a buck to see a double feature. But now it's pills, and now it's pot, and now it's poppers, and God knows what. Slip, squeeze, pop, and your cares are gone. Everybody today is turning on. The simple life it must have been. When smoke was Lucky's and high was gin, one pink lady and how it turned them on. Junk was trash, speed was swift, glue was pasted instead of sniffed. Coke and aspirin and wow, it turned them on. Those days, whenever folks were feeling low, they knew that they could get a glow. Hey, remember when I was up and kicks were tame and amyl nitrate was some guy's name. Holding hands and smoochin' was turning on. Horse was ride and roach was bugs. French connections were foreign plugs. Jivin' to Eddie Duchin' was turning on. Those days when if your nerves were kinda shot, instead of going right to pot, from Rabbi White or Barry Bickeretti with the world so much amiss how, how can a whiskey be cannabis sniff swig pop and your hairs are temporarily gone everybody today is turning on hey remember when hash was fried uh -huh. and tea was brewed someone pushing was merely oh, rude absolutely but once a week you cut the grass and too much acid just gave you gas Your grandma's <laughs> nothing.